Happy Father's Day, fathers. You know, Mother's Day, it, it, it's like, woo, yay! Father's Day, guys just like, yeah, yeah. Happy Father's Day. Really, happy Father's Day to all the fathers here. What an, what an incredible privilege and honor it is to, to be a father and, and uh, to have a father that's still living. I love my dad. He's an amazing man, and I'm thankful for him. And so happy Father's Day again to all the fathers. If you have your Bibles, if you'll join me, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to continue in our series that we've titled Covenant and Kingdom, and our today, today's our title is, um, is Covenant Faith. And we're going, to, we're going to take a look at the life of Abraham today, Covenant Faith. The story of Abraham, it really does represent the oldest continual story in the Bible. It's an ongoing story. And the story begins with Abraham as a prosperous Gentile, a man that lived in the land of Haran. And uh, he was a prosperous herdsman there, raised all kinds of livestock. His name was Abram. And his wife's name was Sarai until God changed their name from Abram and Sarai to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, and, and Sarah, which means the mother of kings, or the mother through whom many kings will come. And so you'll hear me say Abraham a lot, even when I'm reading the text and it says Abram, I'll probably say Abraham, but the two are interchangeable, all right? Um, but Abraham being the latter, uh, the name that uh, God has called him. Abraham and Sarah were married at a very early age. Abraham was married somewhere around the age of 19. And so because in, in Hebrew culture, uh, the, the young ladies were married off at an early age, Sarah was nine years younger than Abraham, somewhere around there. So you can imagine how young Sarah was when they got married. Abraham was a man of wealth, and together... Abraham and Sarah had everything that they wanted except for one thing. They didn't have a child. They didn't have a son. And in ancient patriarchal culture, not having a son was a big deal because, because having a son meant carrying on the family legacy. And legacy was important. In fact, in Anchorage culture, ancient culture, what a man possessed Currently, his current possessions was not as important as what he left behind. The value of a man's life was his legacy. And the legacy of a man was passed on to his family through the oldest son. The oldest son. As long as there was an oldest son, the wealth would remain in the family. Without an oldest son, there'd be no heir no future family, and therefore there would be no legacy. And all the patriarch's hopes and dreams were really wrapped up in the oldest son. So get this now. Sarah, Abraham's wife, is barren. And that means she's unable to have children. And so try as they might, they could not have a child. They could not have a son. Now, fast forward, and Abraham is 75 years old. And Sarah is 66 years old. So obviously they've been trying for many years to have a child with no success. And now they both were past childbearing years. So imagine what that must have felt like for Sarah and for Abraham, but especially for, for Sarah. Imagine the pressure she was under to produce 
a child for this patriarch. Imagine the sorrow and the anguish and the anger and the grief and the heartache of infertility that had endured their entire marriage. Imagine. Imagine that. Abraham's heart was so set on having a son. That was his heart's desire, and it, it never waned. And, and, so, and we know this. We know that it was his heart's desire because when, when God tells Abraham to leave his country and to leave his family behind, one of the things that he uses to motivate Abraham is the promise of offspring, the promise of a son. So now let's pick this up in Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now, how many of you brought your Bibles with you today? See, listen, I'm, I, you know, for a long time I didn't put the words on the screen. I don't want you to get comfortable with the words on the screen. I want you to bring your Bibles, continue to bring your Bibles, and get comfortable with reading for yourself what the Bible says so you can see it. Don't trust what's on the screen. As a matter of fact, there might be typos on the screen. All right? So don't trust what's on the screen. Read for yourself what the Word of God says. Verse 12, or verse, chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in him and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now I want you to drop down to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God makes his promise. And then in, in chapter 15, verse 16, God tells Abraham, he says, I, I promise you that I'm going to number your seeds like the sands of the earth and the stars of the heavens. And then verse 16 of, of chapter 15, there's a key statement here that's lasted through the ages. It says here, it says, Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham had the faith to believe what God was saying, and because of his faith alone, he stood in right standings with God. So now 10 years goes by, right? Time moves on. Abraham and Sarah become impatient. The promise hasn't happened yet. And I can imagine that what's happened now is, is that doubt has crept in. Did, did God really promise us a son? Really? Will God really fulfill this covenant to us? And so what happens is they decide to take matters into their own hands. Turn over to chapter 16. Let's take a look at it. Genesis chapter 16. Beginning at verse 1. Are you there? Now Sarai, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, because it may be that I shall obtain children 
by her. Now, let me stop for just a second. I know it's Happy Father's Day. But now, ladies, let me ask you something. <laughs> I see a whole bunch of heads shaking. I didn't have to ask that question, do I? <laughs> it's not going to happen. Wow. So let's keep reading. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as her, her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Now let me address the brothers for a second. Brothers, listen. Two things. If, that bro- if Abraham had had any sense, He'd have recognized that nothing good could come out of this. Two things he would have had to remember. First, he should have remembered that God promised him to give him offspring through Sarah. The second thing he should have realized is that this is a bad idea, man. This idea is probably going to cost me. But now listen, that said, I want to give you, a, you know, just, just a little bit of history about the culture. It wasn't uncommon in that culture for the head of household to, to have another family, to establish another family through the child of a handmaid. And it wasn't uncommon for that. that. So that wasn't an issue. That wasn't a problem. Here's the problem. The problem was that God had made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that he would bless them and that through them, would come the promised seed. So the, prom- the problem was Abraham reached out and took by force what God really wanted to give to him and Sarah by faith. And as a result, Ishmael was born. Ishmael, Abraham's son, was indeed his son, but he wasn't the son of the promise, not the promised son. And so here's what happened. Abraham and Sarah, in their impatience, tried to help God out. Manufactured what they considered to be the promise, and the result is that there has been turmoil in the earth ever since. Now, I know a little bit about helping God out. Many years ago, everybody say many years ago, I've learned some lessons. Many years ago, I had been asking God, I wanted, man, I wanted a Ford Bronco really, really bad. Now my family, they're really laughing already. I want a Ford Bronco really, really bad, man. And so I'm driving down, down Minnesota Drive, heading, heading south on Minnesota, right as I get to the on-ramp for Raspberry, and I see this black Ford Bronco come out. It's, man, that, that thing was beautiful. And I heard, I heard the voice of the Lord telling me, Man, go stop that woman and ask her about that vehicle. And so I did. I followed her over to the Costco parking lot. She pulled in. I pulled like two spaces over because I didn't want her to think I was going to cost her anything, you know. And so I pulled like two spaces over and I walked over to her and I said, I said, ma'am, I said, listen, I said, I've been looking for a Ford Bronco. Are you possibly interested in selling this Bronco, and this is the God's honest truth. She said, you know, when I, as I pulled on to the, off the on-ramp and, and got on to Minnesota for the first time ever, I've had this thing since it, was, since it was brand new, and for the first time ever, I thought, you know, 
maybe I ought to sell this vehicle. She said, isn't that strange? I said, hmm. <laughs> but, but here's what happened. She says, you know, I'm not ready to sell it yet. She says, so, so you know, give me some time. We'll work some stuff out, and, and this can be yours. I've kept this thing. It's, it's been kept meticulously. Man, I'm telling you, you could eat off the floor of this thing. Started up, the engine would just purr. It was awesome, right? But time goes by. About a month goes by. She hadn't called me, so I called her and said, hey, you know, you still going to sell the Bronco? Yeah, Greg, I'm going to sell it. I just, you know, I just need a couple more months. I said, a couple more months. Okay, a couple more months. I, I can endure a couple more months. A couple months go by. I gave her a call again. She's like, hey, you know what? I know it's November, but I need till January. I need till January, and then I'll sell you this Bronco, I promise. So I wait till around the end of December, early January, and uh, I get impatient. Surely if God blessed me with this, he could bless me with another. So I start looking. And on one of those parking lots, those parking seller parking lots that no longer exist, they're gone, they're out of business. I find this brand, this, 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 this Eddie Bauer Bronco. Now surely if God was gonna bless me with this regular XLT Bronco, his best for me must be the Eddie Bauer. So God has upgraded his promise to me. Man, let me tell you something. I bought that Eddie Bauer Bronco and from the day I bought it, it gave me problems. That thing was so bad, man. I mean, I drove it out the parking lot and it started shaking like it wasn't shaking before I went and took it on a test drive. But when I drove out the parking lot, it started shaking, ball joints was going out. Found out I had to replace the head gasket. Alternator went out. Window rolled down, wouldn't go back up. Back window rolled down, wouldn't go back up. Gas tank had fit fuel pumps in the gas tank. Both the fuel pumps in the gas tanks went out. That's not all. Heat went out in the middle of the winter. I remember picking up my son, and my son told me, because he was real young at the time, he said, Dad, riding this vehicle is like getting the Holy Ghost. He said, you're sitting <laughs> It was the worst decision that I had made. But here's the problem. Here's how it all happened. I'm trying to help God out. I'm trying to go out and take by force what God had promised to give me by faith. And the result was my, one of my best friends, my mentors, told me, he said, man, look, you got, you got an Ishmael, brother. You, you have a manufactured blessing that was produced and born out of time. Man. So what are you getting ready to do that you're taken by force when God has told you to just be patient? I'm going to give it to you by faith. I'm going to give it to you by faith. Just be patient. What Ishmael are you about to give birth to because, because you, you, you just don't want to wait on God anymore. You, you, you know you've got the means. You've got the means to go out and get this stuff. But God is saying, wait, just be patient. What Ishmael are you about to produce? That's what makes this story so relevant. Supernatural childbirth. So now let's fast forward 13 more years, you all. 13 years go by. Abraham's now 99. Sarah is 90. 
And then in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, the Lord appears to Abram. He makes this everlasting covenant that would extend to all generations. And the sign of the covenant would be a physical sign, a, a, a physical covenant that we would make with God that had a physical sign called circumcision. Okay? Any of you don't know what circumcision is? Okay. Every male would be circumcised. That was the physical sign of the covenant between God and his people. Now watch this. We know, I could talk about covenant. It would take me a, a month of Sundays to unpack covenant. But let me say this. The Bible tells us about the, the physical covenant that we have with God the fleshly covenant, but the Bible is, speaks more to the, to the spiritual covenant that we have with God, where we relinquish our authority to his authority. And as a result of that, we enter into a relationship, what the Bible calls the circumcision of the heart, because we worship God with all of our heart. We covenant to be in relationship with him that comes from the heart. I could talk weeks for that. Let's keep on. Then one day, while Abraham was sitting on, on his, the Bible says, the door of his tent, just chilling. The Bible said three men come up. One happened to be the Lord. And the Lord told him, said, Abram, this time next year, by this time next year, when you're 100 years old, you're going to have a child. Now you think about this. Because the birth of Isaac was, was so ridiculous, if you think about it, that, that Sarah, when she, was, when she gave birth to Isaac, she laughed, and therefore she called his name Isaac, which means laughter. It's ridiculous. A 90-year-old woman having a baby. Wow. You don't have to shudder, honey. That's okay. Got to remember, sometimes people in Bible days live like 300 and something years old and older. So watch this now. If the story ended there, it'd be a great story. It really would. It'd be a, a story about a couple who discovered that, that God is faithful and that he could do impossible things and that we as his children, we can trust him to fulfill his word and we don't have to take matters into our own hands, that, that we can trust him and as a result of greater trust in him, that there become a greater refinement of our faith in him. But the story doesn't end there. That's good, but the story continues. And what God instructs Abraham to do next in our culture today would be unconscionable. But in the Hebrew culture, it wasn't. Because God instructs Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son of the covenant. Now, in Hebrew culture, that wouldn't have been too surprising because of Israel, Israel's historical uh, um, uh, history of sin. It wouldn't have been too, too far-fetched for the life of the firstborn to be taken and automatically forfeited. Because in Exodus chapter 13, the Bible speaks of that, and at the same time it says how the life of the firstborn son could be redeemed through what was, what was called substitutionary sacrifice. Read up on that later. So here's the key. I don't know what was going on in Abraham's mind at the time when God told him to sacrifice his son. But what we do know is that he had a choice to make. 
to either trust God by faith or in fear hang on to the thing that he loved the most, his only son. So now let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 3, and see what the Bible says about it. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar. And then Abraham said to the young man, stay here with the donkey. Watch this now. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's, that's an indication of the confidence that Abraham had with the covenant relationship that he had with God. And so here you get the sense that Abraham knew that God was up to something special and unexpected. Drop down to verse 6 now. Let's continue. And Abraham took the wood offering, the, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. I got to tell you something. I cut so much out of this message. I had, I had so much I had to cut out. There's so much symbolism in this story between what takes place in Abraham in the Old Testament and what takes place with Isaac. One that I just can't get, get out of my mind is Abraham takes this, this, this load of wood for the sacrifice, this wood, and lays it on the shoulder of his only son. It reminds me, and then he sends him up the hill. He goes up the hill with him. It reminds me of, of the sacrifice of Jesus as he had the cross of wood carrying it up the hill of Golgotha. That's just one. There's so many symbolisms. And he took in his hand fire, still in verse 6 now, and the knife. And so they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father? And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, watch this now, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went up together. And here's what's true. Like I said, we don't know what was going on in the mind of Abraham as he went up that mountain, but I know that he had three days to think about sacrificing his son. Can you imagine the movies that he played in his head going up that hill? Can you imagine the movies that Satan had played? Man, listen, you know, God has come through for you before, but, you know, this, this, this that he's asking you to do, dude, you're about to lose your son. You are a fool. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how the enemy would play in his mind and tell him all these lies? But this time, this time, Abraham did not fall for the lie. His faith had grown and trusting the character of his God, that God, our Father, is a covenant-keeping God. And I could just hear, hear Abraham saying to himself, listen, God, listen, Father, I don't know how you're going to pull this off. I don't know how you're going to do this. But the story simply cannot end this way because you've promised me. And it doesn't end that way. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 9. And when they came to the place where God had told him, Abram, Abraham built the altar and there laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached up his hand to slay his son. He was in the position to slay his son. And all of a sudden, Abraham, Abraham, God had to call that brother twice. 
He was so he was so convinced that no matter what he did, God had to call him twice. Abraham, Abraham. He says, "Here I am." He said, "Man, don't 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 touch this and don't slam. Don't do any harm to him." As a matter of fact, I've got another. I've got a substitutionary sacrifice for you. A ram that's in the bush. And so Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. Everyone say covenant faith. That's covenant faith. And it's to this faith that that the writer in Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 17 or chapter 11, verse 17. He says this, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Figuratively speaking, Abraham had already in his heart committed it. God raised up a sacrifice. See, Abraham had grown to the point in his faith where he realized that God was so bent on fulfilling his covenant promise that if he did take the life of his son, God was going to have to bring him back because God promised to fill the earth with his offspring, and God has fulfilled that, that covenant promise to him. Because of Abraham's faith, he's been given a place that is unequaled and of unequaled by any man in human history. All of the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all claim Abraham to be the father of our faith. Get this now. In other words, more than half the people on this earth speak to Abraham as their spiritual father. That's a lot of folk. <laughs> I have in my notes and it's true. It's crazy. Half the people on the earth and we all can't get along. Hmm. Like Abraham, every single time we trust the promises of God, we make a statement of God's love towards us. But there's never been a stronger statement than the one that God makes in his statement of love for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the gospel, rather than taking our firstborn, God sacrifices his. In the gospel, rather than demanding our life, he lays down his life. In the gospel, rather than spilling our blood, Jesus Christ pours out his blood on our behalf and brings to us a new covenant that is written in his blood. Jose, you can bring your team up. And just as God has provided a, provided a substitutionary sacrifice for Abraham, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is a substitutionary sacrifice for us. And just as God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because, because you've committed to give me your son, your beloved, your only son. 
we now have the privilege of turning to God and saying, God, now I love, I know you love me because you've given me, you've not withheld your best, you've given me your son. You sacrificed your son, your only son for me and you didn't hold him back. There is no limit to the love that God has for us. That's the story of Abraham. That our father will not withhold any good thing from us if we'll only listen to his voice and obey what he tells us to do. That's the covenant promise that he's made to us. No good thing will I withhold from them who walk upright. But faith requires action. And that action leads to our spiritual growth. And spiritual growth and transformation is central. It's the central focus to the work of God in our lives. God expects us to consistently grow in our faith. You know, at first, for Abraham, faith alone was enough. The Bible says God counted his faith alone as righteousness. But as the story develops, we see action now confirms his faith and then total obedience solidifies that confirmation. Here's what I want you to hear today. Here's how it's so relevant to us. Just as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob spoke to our forefathers, the patriarchs of our faith, God is speaking to us today. And I've said countless times, countless times, God will use anything to get our attention. Anything. He's always speaking. Our faith and action should lead us to obey him. And so today, as, we, as we've just taken a high-level view of the life of Abraham... And landed on the, on, the, on the point and the fact that God has established covenant relationship with us as well. And landed on the fact that we always, always, always can be confident that God is speaking to us. Trying to get our attention. The question I have for you is if God is speaking... Have you stopped long enough to understand and ask him, what are you saying? What are you saying to me, God? What are you asking me to do to, to move deeper into covenant relationship with you? And then the second question is, what are you going to do about it? And so I ask you over these next few days, to ask the Holy Spirit to give you clear steps for what it means to step deeper into purpose. God has called every single one of us to be unique and special. He's given us all a purpose that is, is, is as unique as the thumbprint on our hand. So God, when it comes to your kingdom purpose in my life, what do you want me to do about it? And will you give me clear next steps for what that looks like for me? I want you to ask those questions and believe that God will give you an answer to those questions because he's always speaking. 
Will you stand with me? Father, I love the fact that thousands of years ago, you raised up a man named Abraham, who in many ways struggles with the same aspects of faith that we do. Can I trust you? Will you, will you really come through for me, Lord? Can I depend on you to be true to your word? And you are a faithful God. You are faithful forever. In this moment, Lord, as we bow our heads and bow our hearts to you, if there's areas in our lives where we haven't realized your faithfulness because we simply haven't released that thing that we're holding so dear to you, I pray that you reveal to us in ways that we can comprehend that you are more than enough, more than enough. You are more than enough for any circumstance that we face, no matter what it is. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.